emotionally healthy discipleship, being emotionally healthy disciples. And everything we have learned from September to now builds to this moment. And so if you're just joining us, that's okay. You can go, if you're interested in some of these topics, you can go back. We have everything online. We have the stuff on the podcast. You can go and re-listen to it. But, you know, you're not going to completely miss out if you haven't heard it, but you've been following along, then everything we've been learning builds to this, and it's humility. Humility. And this is such an important one for us as followers of Jesus. And it's something that is throughout Scripture. I mean, it's throughout the Proverbs. It's throughout the Old Testament. It's throughout the New Testament They're talking about being humble, being humble. And being humble, first and foremost, is us being humble before God. You know, that we would be willing to submit ourselves to God. uh, Satan was kicked out of heaven because he wanted to be worshipped. His pride, his pride, it says in scripture, is what got him kicked out of heaven. Writes about it in Isaiah. He wanted worship for himself. Now, we live in a world where he is the prince of this world. So it is no surprise that what this world celebrates is idolatry and worship of people, of pride. Right? The things we reward most in our society are rooted and grounded in pride. And sadly, this type of thinking infiltrates into the church. We've got today in Western Christianity a problem with celebrity culture in the church. Where we don't look up to necessarily the character qualities that we see in Scripture, but we look up to Christian celebrities. And it's something we've got to examine why. Why? Why do we do that? What's going on in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own thinking? The last time that I was preaching, one of the scriptures that I was reading from was Romans 12, where it talks about the fact that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we're not to conform to the ways of the world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that once that happens, then we are able to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For too long, I mean, for most of my growing up, in one way or the other, the church has looked to the world. We've looked to the business world for our examples and models and celebrated the business world. You know, we've celebrated prosperity, we've celebrated riches, we've celebrated, you know, the, the church looking more and more just like any, you know, like, let's look like a rock concert, let's look like this, we'll look like that. They, these things in and of themselves, it's not that they're bad, and I'm not judging, like, don't hear it as an as a overall judgment. It's a thing of us going, hold on, is this healthy? Is it producing the fruit of the Spirit in the church? And we know some of it is unhealthy because we're watching, we've watched over the last few years, some of the biggest proponents and the biggest celebrities in Christian cult, um, culture that put these things forward 
falling from grace. You know, being exposed as not living from the fruits of the Spirit and, and that the reality of the fruit of that type of thinking has not produced godliness. It's produced the opposite. And it's so important that the measure of everything we do is love. God's love. You know, the, the greatest commandment that we would love God with all our heart, mind, and spirit, and we would love our neighbor as ourselves. And again, I talked on love and what love is and what love isn't a few months ago. I won't redo that. But it's, we love God with all our heart, mind, and spirits, which means we honor his ways. We're submitted to his ways. It's not the world telling us the way the church should be. It's God telling us the way the church should be. And when the two are in conflict, God wins. Because we submit and humble ourselves to God despite what the world is saying, despite the way the world is going, despite what the world is doing. You know, it's too often I hear things where, where people in, in Christians that have grown up in Christianity compromising on things, going, hey, it's fine for us to live together because, you know, everyone does that. It's fine to do that. We know, yeah, we're going to get married. We intend to get married, but we're just going to live together beforehand because you know what? That's economically convenient. Everyone does it anyway. And so, hey, that's fine. No, it's not. It's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope, regardless of the heart intent. You know, there's so many other things that we can talk about where our pride, our, our desire to be like the world or the convenience of being like the world gets in the way of us actually living in the fullness of what God has for us. And there's so much confusion in the church today. The very fact that, that we don't even see the importance of church. Now, there's some real faults that have been there in the church that have caused that. As we've pursued the world, even as the church, I can understand why its relevance dies off for people because if this isn't a community where people are loved and cared for where they find community where they're growing in christ if it's just showing up on a sunday hearing a sermon yeah you can consume that anywhere but if we're actually christian family then we are in each other's lives we're in each other's lives and we're making an effort to be in each other's lives and we're humbling ourselves so we can be in each other's lives. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and 23 says, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Our lives... This, this should be the result of us following Jesus. Doesn't mean you give your life to Jesus and suddenly you become perfect in all these areas. But our goal, the thing we are, we are um, encouraging each other towards as these qualities. When we do not see these qualities in action, when we do not see love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, we know that is not of God. It's not of God. It is not of the Spirit. Because these are the fruits of the Spirit. So let's look at some scriptures on humility. 
Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus calls people to him. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Then in Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, he says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And when Paul wrote that statement, he was writing to a church that was dividing along Jewish and Gentile lines. And he, would, he just, the passage in, before that in Ephesians 3, he's writing saying, hey, you know, if this isn't a competition between Jews and Gentiles. You are a now, it's no longer actually about you being Jews and Gentiles. It's now you are a new creation in Christ. You put your old Jewish identity aside. You put your old Gentile identity aside and you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. But as you're learning to figure that out, be patient and humble with one another. Bear with one another in love. We all come from so many different backgrounds. We come from into this room from different cultural backgrounds, different parts of the world, different religious backgrounds. And we've got to be gentle and patient and humble with one another, bearing with one another in love as we work things out. You know, as we learn together to submit ourselves to Jesus to put aside the ways that maybe things had been done before, to be humbly examine why we do what we do. I say that to myself. You know, I don't go, well, guess what? You've come to Canada and you've come to Lifehouse Church, so you better learn my way of doing things and this is it. It's, for me, I'm constantly learning and, and humbly sitting before God, learning from the different people that come, seeing how things... I think it's so amazing the worldview that I get because I get a picture of the world, literally, as I have different conversations with people and hearing about how things were, how things were back in their, in the, in their country or back in the different church they came from. And I take all these different things and pieces to God and they become this amazing thing of just allowing Him to mold and shape because we learn from one another but our goal my goal is not to for you to do church the way I think it should be done or to do church the way you think it should be done I want to do it the way God wants it done I want to sit at the feet of Jesus and say Lord we're so different but how do you want to do this how are you building your family how are you building your family I think one of the, the uh, scriptures that I want to focus on today, and it's, it's frankly one of my favorite ones on this topic, is out of the book of James. That can be very sounding unhumble considering my name. <laughs> but it's not just because of the name of the person that wrote the book. You know, James is this amazing book that actually, if you, if you read it, it's actually a, almost a repeat of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in application. If you take what Jesus speak is, is taught in Matthew 5, 6, 7, you'll find most of it, if not all of it here, just being repeated and, and practically applied. So 
I'm going to read a big section of James. Well, fairly good. James 4, verses 1 to 13. We're going to go through this together. And as I've been in the habit of doing recently, I'm going to go through it in two different versions. But we're going to start off in, in the one I usually read from, which is NIV. And so we start off in verse 4. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he, is, he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law... You are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, something I want to point out here before I go on, we'll look at another scripture here in James, because it can get confusing when he starts talking about the law here. Because it's like, what law is he talking about? And so, again, you have to read. These letters were not meant to be read in chapters. They were meant to be read as a whole. You know, the whole letter would have been read out to a community. So we have to go back a little bit in James to understand what he's saying. So if we go back to James 2, verses 8 to 13, this is where he talks about what this law is he's referring to. Here, James writes, he says, If you keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one part is guilty of breaking it all. It goes down in verse 12, says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what's the law he's referring to? Here he says, the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the law he's talking about, you know, the law that gives freedom. 
is the one that came through Christ Jesus at the cross. We can't read the, as I was speaking last time I spoke, we don't read the New Testament through the lens of the Old. No, we read it when referring to something like this, saying, oh, the law that he's referring to, as he explains, is you know, love your neighbor as yourself. The law that gives the life, that, that Jesus died at the cross, that he paid the price once and for all for sin. That he has set us free from the consequences of sin and death. Now that he has done these things. That the law of the old is now written on our hearts. We don't just chuck it out, but we're not living for the law. We're living for Jesus. So when we read, you know, something like when you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it or, or, you know, don't slander one another. Our, our humility, even to Scripture, our humility in how we read Scripture through the eyes of what Jesus has done. You know, unfortunately, and if you've been to Bible school, you know this, we're often taught to read Scripture through systems. Probably the most predominant form of, of theological teaching over the last while has been systematic theology. It's good. It's helpful. But it, it teaches you, it says, hey, Scripture always interprets you Scripture. Here is the system you should follow when you read Scripture. And there's some truth to it. But there's a lot of things it leaves out. And the most important thing when we read Scripture is that we also under, we, we submit it to Jesus. We submit scripture to God himself, who we believe is the author of it, who worked through these men that recorded scripture, that his spirit worked through them. And so we submit to scripture in understanding that, okay, God, you have inspired these people to write. What is it you're wanting to communicate Part of us understanding the communication of this, which we are privileged in this day and age of the access of information we have in so easy access is through the history of it. What was James, who was James writing to? Because it's really important that we understand that James was writing to Jewish Christians. Christians that had, Jewish people that had converted from Judaism to Christianity. That was his primary audience. So he's making references back to things they understand like the law. But when he writes this book, he's pointing them constantly to Jesus and how they are to live. How they are to live. I'm going to read it now through the message version, which is, again, if you, the message is a paraphrase. But it puts it in language that sometimes speaks a little better to our hearts. Where... Here it says, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think that they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you do not have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? 
And why not? Because you know that you would, you would be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he is fiercely, a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willfully proud. God gives grace to the willingly humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. You know, the amount of times in my life that I've, like, this scripture has been so real to me. Where it's, I've been going away, going in a direction and realize I'm actually just, this is James. It's not God. I've done that in all kinds of areas in my life. And, you know, there's times I've been humbled by God because I'm trying to push a door open and it will not open. Or I'm trying to go in a particular direction and I can't go in that direction. You know, even worse, I think I've achieved something or I think I've got it right in some area of my life and God makes it really clear that I don't. And how we respond in those moments. You know, so often when we go through things, it can be easy to get upset at God. And it's fine. If we have emotion that we need to express to God and be like, God, I'm really angry. I really don't understand this or frustrated. Job did that. It's okay. As long as we're willing to hear the answer from him. Because he can completely handle our anger. He can completely handle, handle our sorrow. He can completely handle our confusion. But when we're in that place, will we listen to what he says in response? After we have vented our emotion, are we willing to hear from him what he has to say? Job had a choice. He vented his emotion. And then when God spoke, he humbled himself before the Lord. You have a choice. I have a choice. We all have a choice. Will we be the ones that will, that, you know, are we going to continue on the roads that we're on or will we go, God, am, is what I'm doing working? Is this actually, you know, if you don't know, maybe you're like, hey, I do know that the road I'm on is the one that God has me on or what I'm doing or that's amazing. But, I, you know, for me, I know I have to constantly check because it's just way too easy to do things in my own strength and my own abilities and not surrender to what God wants. And you can say, well, that's easy. You lead a church, but actually God wants to do that for you in your business, in your career, in your workplace, in your schooling, whatever area of your life. God wants it all. God doesn't want a piece of you. He wants all of you. 
He wants your family. He wants your relationships. He wants that the fruits of the Spirit would be in your life in everything you do, in the workplace, in the marketplace, in the schooling, in your neighborhood, in your family. We are not meant to live, you know, unintegrated lives. Christianity is meant to be permeate everything we do, which means we may have to say no to things. We may be able to go, no, I can't do that. I can't do this. Even if our boss is asking us to. Even if, you know, even if our friends are asking us to. Even if our family isn't going to understand. But we have to go, I can't do that. Or I just don't have peace. God's just like, I just don't have peace about this. God, I want to submit this decision to you. I want to submit this, this design I'm doing to you. I want to submit this business deal to you. And having his peace. But if, if we just want our own way, we'll get it. We'll get it, but at a cost. Now we, we, I should say we may, we may get it by our own strength and our own abilities and our own efforts. It won't be from God. We've got to lead and we've got to live from humility. And we can, us living from humility takes every decision, every choice, and it puts it at the feet of Jesus and goes, God, not my way, but yours. Not my way, but yours. It, it goes, I am not the master of my own destiny. It's the opposite thinking of the world. It's the opposite thinking of the world. Where I'm not in charge. I don't get my way. God gets his. I humble myself before the creator of the universe, going, you love me enough that you know, according to scripture, every hair on my head. So I should be able to trust you with my life. I should be able to trust you with my decisions. I should be able to trust you. Me grasping for what I think I should have is not the way I should go. And this is in ministry. This is in life. This is in family. That we would be a faith-filled people. When you look at the stories in Scripture, man, you know, God is so merciful that when we, even when we go our own way, even when we discover that we've been operating in pride, we humble ourselves before Him and He, he helps us because He cares. He's a loving Father who loves us. He is good. He cares about every aspect of our lives and He's patiently waiting for us to submit our ways to Him. Patiently waiting as a good dad who's not forcing his will on his children. And it doesn't say here, hey, be ready. God's going to grab hold of you and force you to go in the way that he wants you to go. No, he says, hey, come to me, all who are weary and need rest. I'm gentle and humble of heart. Pharisees and Sadducees. I mean, it's quite funny because... Jesus was pretty blunt with them. I'm not there for you. You're too self-righteous. You can't come to me. 
You can't come to me because you think everything is right. But if you know your need of me, that's who I'm here for. I'm here for those that know they need me. If we've grown up sometimes or we've been Christians for a period of time, we can become self-righteous. And that's the opposite of humble. Where we think, you know, we're, we're taking pride in our own selves and our own abilities, our own decisions. We're like, you know what? I've got the skills. I've got the knowledge. I've got this. I can just do this. But will we submit every decision to God? You see in, in uh, Numbers 20, where Moses, it's a story that just floors people. Where, you know, the people are grumbling against them. They're like, we're in this desert. There's no water. We just want to be back in Egypt. It was so much better in Egypt. Did you lead us out here to die? And now, now back in Exodus, when they first came out of Egypt, there was, they were doing the same thing to them. And God told Moses to take his staff and hit a rock twice and water would come out of it. And so he did that and water came out of the rock. So this time the people are grumbling with them again. Now we're on the other side of the journey. They've been out in the desert for a long period of time. They're almost in the promised land and they're in another part of the desert where it's hot and dry and there's no water and they're once again going, would just be better if we're dead. And they actually say that. They're like, we should, if, it would, if only we had died like some of our the other relatives here in the desert because then we wouldn't be going through this. Did you just lead us out here to die? We've been walking all this way to die. So Moses and Aaron, they, they do initially what's humble. They go and they, they just fall face, face down in front of God. They're like, God, what do we do with these rebellious people? What do we do? And God's like, get up, gather all the people. You, know, you, and, you and Aaron, Moses, go and gather all the people in front of this rock. And I want you to speak to that rock. And water will come out of it. And Moses gets up. And he and Aaron, they gather the people. And they say a few choice words to the people. And then he takes his staff and he hits the rock. And water comes out of it. God still has water come out of it. And then God's like, Moses, because you didn't honor me as holy, because you didn't trust in me and honor me as holy in front of these people, you will not enter the promised land. Glad we're on this side of the cross. <laughs> yeah. And there's... But I want to in my life, and I hope you want to in yours, that we would honor God in everything that we do. That we truly would submit ourselves to God. Now, there's way too many people praying for their will to be done, fasting, praying, wanting their will, wanting what God has maybe said to happen their way in their timing, the way they should think, as opposed to us humbling ourselves before God, listening to God and saying, God, what is it you want to do and how do you want to do it? There's way too much in, in Christian circles of people plastering their picture all over the places, promoting themselves and there's min their ministry. And there's way too much of that in churches. And we're, you know, anyone that's coming to promote their ministry to you, you should run away from. There's way too many people that can't get their way in a church going and gathering a group of people and going and starting their own church or own ministry. 
so that they can have their way. And there's way too many gullible people following them. And it never ends well. It never ends well. We live in a world right now that does not value leadership. It does not value authority. It's actually anti-authority, anti-leadership. That is a culture that cannot come into church. Leadership should not be imposing. It should be gentle. It should be humble. The purpose of leadership in a church is to empower you to live in everything you were meant to live in, to empower the gifts within you, to empower those things. But good, godly leadership should be like a family that also can go, you're not ready. The last thing I should do for my 10-year-old child is hand him the car keys. But that happens in churches all the time. Because, you know, Seth could be pretty insistent. And there's lots of insistent people that like, give me the keys. I'm ready for this. How dare you hold me back? How dare you tell me I'm not old enough to drive? How dare you tell me I don't have the skills? Who do you think you are? God has said, I am supposed to do this. Now, that is common. That's way too common. And there's way too many people that don't recognize pride and then get behind people and are like, yeah, you should be able to do this. How dare people hold you back? Oh my goodness. We see the story of that in scripture with David and one of his sons whose name suddenly just ran out of my head. Absalom, thank you. Didn't end so well. It never does. And I can wonderfully speak on this because there's no problem of this happening right now. But it's happened before, and it'll happen again. It's happened before, and it'll happen again. I want to see each of you living in the fullness of what God has for you. I want to see you at the top of, of, of the... I want to be careful in how I say it. I want you to live in everything God has for you. The people on this eldership team want to see you live in everything that God has for you. You know, both in your career, in your family, you know, out out in the in in the world as you are the salt and the light out there, and in the good works that God has prepared for you to do in this church. You know, we want to see you empowered. If anyone ever holds you back, says, "Hey," that thing you're not ready for, at that moment, there's a choice. At that moment, there's a choice. And that choice is, is one of humility or pride. Now, if this ever became a controlling, there's lots of controlling stuff out there where people are, you know, and people should be able to tell the difference of that as well. I'm not saying that's okay. You know, church leadership is not there to control anybody. And, you, you know, if you've been in a controlling, dictatorial family where people have been, religion controls, it doesn't empower. You know, religion does not empower, it controls. But good, godly things, good, godly church family, man, people flourish and they fly. And it's healthy. It's healthy. So I look forward, you know, to be able to talk a couple more times on this in the, the coming months. But 
May we, as we, as we process this, as we listen to it, as we let the Spirit talk to us, may we first and foremost be able to submit ourselves to God and His ways. May we submit ourselves to God and His ways and continue to learn to do that. Amen? Amen. Wonderful. Sean, I will hand. Thanks so much, James. Oh, just on a side note, James and Lee, thank you so much for your leadership, for your for being our pastors. Thank you for modeling for for me and for Anne, and I guess all of us, um, humility and and always going back to the Father. So we want to honor you and thank you for that. Don't we all need a little bit more grace? I love in, in how James, in the book of James, it says, God gives grace to those who are will, willingly humble. Just reminded in, in Numbers, Moses wrote, he's the most humblest person on earth. I guess you wrote Numbers. It always makes me laugh. But um, yeah, guys, don't, don't forget to sign up for the volunteer link. Parents, uh, pick up your kids after the service. There's going to be coffee and cookies in the back. And um, say hello. Meet somebody new in church. Say hello to somebody you haven't met yet before you go. All right, guys, have a blessed week. See you guys next week.